All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, before we dive into the word, there's a few things that I want to say, which I know doesn't surprise you. I have plenty. I'm like on overload up here during worship. Uh, the first thing that I want to say is something in regards to worship. And uh, I was looking for our service coordinator, Jadra, but you guys can pull this up. I have a couple scriptures I want to share with you in this context of worship. First, it's Matthew 18.3. Uh, so, of course, I was radically saved. I'll do that in just a moment. Of course, I was radically saved, and I'm a high extrovert, and I'm super passionate. And I came from wild Grateful Dead concerts before I got born again, so dancing's an easy thing for me. Um, extravagant worship is something that's easy for me for a, ver for, uh, for a variety of reasons. One is that um, I believe that what's going on around the throne right now is pretty expressive. And uh, if you read about what's happening around the throne in Revelations, you'll really understand that there is extravagance and passion and vibrancy and, and incredible worship that's taking place. I know that the scriptures say that he who's been forgiven much loves much. All of us have been forgiven much. Sometimes I feel like I may have been forgiven more than most. Uh, hopefully you feel the same way. God has forgiven us of so many things, and my gratitude because of that is so high. I often talk about how when I come in, it doesn't matter what I did last night or what I did this morning or last week. I never come in with a shameful attitude. I understand that the Lord is kind and he's loving and he desires me no matter what I've done. And so instead of sitting in a chair with my head between my hands and, or my legs and just pouting and being a victim mentality, I've learned to really worship extravagantly because I'm so desperate. I worship because I'm so desperate, not because I have it all together. And if you can get that principle, it'll bring a lot of freedom and joy and healing and life to your life. And I get it. Uh, for a lot of us, we were raised in denominational churches, and style and preference is a very big thing for you. Um, you weren't raised maybe in an extravagant church like this, or seeing people dance the way that they dance, or people crying out from the microphone, or worship going a little longer than normal. I get that, and I understand that. Most people were probably not raised in this kind of atmosphere. But when it comes to style and preference, you can never let style and preference dictate your worship. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to look like me or you have to look like the young teenagers or young adults that are up here pouring their heart out. That's not what that means. What it means is you have to worship extravagantly in your unique way, but you also have to do it led by the Holy Spirit. You don't actually get to define what worship is. You just get to give it from your heart to the Lord. Biblically, the Lord has defined worship on so many different aspects. There's a lot of different ways to worship. You can fall on your face. You can lift your hands, you can worship with the song, you can worship with the instruments, you can, you know, rave clamorously is one of the words for worship. It's to be extremely extravagant in how you worship, and other ways is to be solemn and to have reverence and to be humbled in God's presence. And so however you choose to worship is really between you and the Lord, and what I would encourage you to do is always be spirit-led. Now I'm going to use myself as an example. And I'm going to first talk about this scripture, Matthew 18.3. Many of you have heard the scripture that says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But that's not actually what the scripture says. If you look closer at the scripture, it says, unless you be converted and become like a child. The word converted means to be changed. 
from one form to another. It means I once was like this, and then I was converted to become like this. All right, so you can be converted from your old lifestyle to your new lifestyle. When Jesus comes into you, you, you hopefully are changed into his image and likeness. The word converted from an, from an evangelical standpoint, standpoint sometimes has a bad connotation. I'm just trying to convert you. We're not just trying to convert people. We're loving people really well, and in turn, love does the conversion. Jesus does the conversion, okay? But I want you to see the context of the scripture. Unless you be converted and become like who? No, like children. That's right, like children. That's why I love kids. And I think anybody that doesn't love kids has got issues. And I love you, but you got issues. <laughs> to be converted and become like a child. John 1.12, here's what it doesn't say. Unless you receive and believe, for those that receive and believe, he gives the power to become adults of God. It doesn't say that. It says unless you, be, you, receive, or you receive, to as many as receive and believe, he, he gives the right to become children of God. And so for me, I'm going to be 50 this year. I know I look in my 20s. All right, 30s, 30s. All right, early 40s. We'll go with that. But you know what I want to worship like? I want to worship like these teenagers. I want to worship like the young adults. I want to be extravagant. I want to be passionate. I want to give the Lord my very best and be uninhibited. I want to be to a spot where I don't really care what anybody thinks about how I worship. I don't want to worry about have a self-conscious thing that if I lift my hands or I dance or whatever I do, I cry. I cry all the crying right now. I cry so easy. Who cares? Real men do cry. I don't have to be tough in God's presence. And then, of course, I love 2 Samuel 6, 22. 2 Samuel 6, the, the Ark of the Covenant is bring, being brought back into Jerusalem. The presence of God is coming back to Jerusalem. It's a pretty big deal. And some of us haven't had the presence of God and felt his presence or had an experience from the Lord in a very long time. I want to reiterate to this church that Christianity is an, ex- is an experience-based faith, not logic and reason. Now, that doesn't mean crazy, weird manifestations all the time. We're not manifestation-driven, but experiences are critical. Our faith is built on daily encounters and experiences with the Lord, Right? Being born again, hearing God's voice, worship, his presence. And you need the presence desperately in your life. I need it in mine. And so when the presence of God, the ark was coming back to Jerusalem, David was dancing with all of his might and worshiping with tambourines and flutes and harps and cymbals. And there was a wild, extravagant party as the, the presence of God was coming back into Jerusalem so much so that basically his clothes fell off and all that was exposed was the linen ephod. What was exposed was the intimacy. What was exposed was what he had, 
what was on the inside. There was no more shame. Anything that would cover him up was taken off. And so his own wife mocked him and said, look at what a fool you are. You're acting like, I mean, you can read the, con- I mean, I'll just, you're acting like a drug addict that came in here high that was dancing crazy at a, you know, rave tripping on LSD and your clothes were coming off. I mean, that's how I read it. <laughs> you know, it's all about experience and perspective. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> She says, you look like that guy. You'll have to go back and read the verse before. This isn't my message. It's just something that the Lord's already changed it three times, so just roll with it. I'm fasting right now, so just you never know what's about to happen. And David says, if you think, she says, look how, how shameless you were. That was such a great word. You were shameless. I'm like, yeah, because there's no shame. I have no shame. And you got to have no shame in the house of God. And you can't let styles and preferences and failures inhibit you from being passionate in your worship. It's not worth it. Children are watching and learning by how we worship. And then now they're going to outrun us. And I'm like, okay, y'all are going to dance like that? Well, I'll give it the best I got and pray I don't have a heart attack. Because one, I used to dance like that. <laughs> But David says, if you think that was something, I'll be even more undignified. And, in, and you think that I'll be dishonored, but actually there'll be honor. And so I just share that to encourage everyone here how important worship is. Please move past styles and preferences. I get it. It's a little too loud for some of you. It's a little too wild for some of you. It's an adjustment. I understand. But I also understand what's our alternative And I live in a world of extravagance and aggressiveness when it comes to the Lord. There's no middle ground. There's no demilitarized zone in the kingdom. Remember that. And so whenever you have the opportunity to come together in the house of the Lord and worship, it doesn't mean you have to come up here. It doesn't mean you have to dance extravagantly. But what it does mean is you give the Lord your all and you give him your best and one thing you for sure never do is be apathetic or judgmental towards somebody else. Never judge somebody else's worship, okay? When the presence of God comes, a lot of stuff can happen. Let it happen. We're not a rules and policy-driven church. There's freedom in the house of the Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom to behold him and to be free to worship in extravagance. And so I just give you that word of encouragement, okay? All right. The next thing that we're going to do is here in just a moment, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, and I'm going to receive the tithe and offering this morning together with us, and I want to share a scripture with you in the context of my heartbeat when it comes to giving. Um, This is my perspective of you giving your money, all right? One of the things that I often say, and I mean it, is that I'm not checking your giving records. A lot of pastors would correct me on that, and I've had pastors, my, even fathers in my life say that I should, okay? But I want to protect your heart, and I want to protect mine, and I want to teach you to be spirit-led, and this church has never had a money problem, ever, okay? It's, 
money that God's given to you, and it's your choice what to do with it or not. But God gives us a biblical command and gives us a biblical insight and understanding that, look, it all belongs to him, and all he asks back is 10%. And my attitude's not, do I really have to give 10%? How much do I have to give? My attitude is, how much more can I give? Because I'd like to give 20, 30, 40, 50. I'd like to be in a spot where I don't even think twice about it, and it's more, 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 more. Because I learned a long time ago, you can't outgive God, and God is extravagant in his giving to me. And so I also hated being compelled and my arm being twisted and feeling pressured to give. And I don't ever want you to feel that, okay? I don't believe the bottom's going to fall out. I don't believe that your roof's going to cave in if you don't give, okay? I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that if you start to trust the Lord and start giving, you'll see the more that God can do for you. It's the best investment you can make. It's better than Wall Street, your 401k, your IRA, your, your mutual funds, your life insurance policy, uh, Bitcoin, gold, silver. I'm trying to think of everything you can invest in. That about summed it all up right there, okay? And so this is the best investment that you can make, and it's an understanding that God wants you to have so much more that we actually limit or hinder God. Now, I want you to understand this. I fully believe that whether you give or not, if you don't give, that God's kingdom will still move forward. I believe if I die tomorrow, God's kingdom will still be moved forward. That's proven for thousands and thousands of years, right? And so let's take the pressure off. What I really care about in the giving is not to build bigger and better, though our desire is to build more, to contain what's coming, and to have more resources to affect change and have influence. With more people comes more resources and the ability to have greater effect on the community around you. But that's not my prime focus. My prime focus is on health, transformation, strong families, strong marriages, and you becoming everything God wants you to become. And if you learn that and you start to be spirit-led in your life, you can't help but not give. I mean, you just have to give to the Lord, right? And so what I want you to understand Paul said this most awesome thing in Philippians 4, and I'm going to show it to you in a second. He's talking about how the Philippian church was the only church that supported him on one of his missionary journeys when no other church was there for him. And that this Philippian church continued to give to him and that he had taught them in giving and, re and receiving because it goes both ways. Some of you love to give, but you have a hard time receiving. You have to be able to receive too. So giving and receiving go hand in hand. When you give here, it gives us the ability to give back. We help people in lots of difficult situations because I don't want to see a family of this church suffer, be homeless, not pay their electric bill. or their. I, we do as much as we can. We give a lot of money away at Rock City Church because it's commanded for us to. But Paul said this powerful thing in Philippians chapter 4, 19. I want to share it with you because I want you to understand this in the context of giving. He says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He supplies all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's always there for you. He's always supplying for you. He's always pouring out his spirit to you. He's always wanting you to be abundant. He's always supplying, okay? He always wants you to have because he's full of riches, He's full of riches, and it's an easy thing for the Lord to bless your life. It's a very easy thing for the Lord. And I want to share one other thing with you. 
go back two verses to 17, please. In Philippians 4, 17, Paul says this. He says, I'm not, it's not that I'm seeking the money. I'm not seeking the gift. Okay? What I really want more than anything is the fruit that abounds to your account. You got to catch this. This is fruit that abounds to your account. This is what fathers do. This is what real pastors should be doing. What I care more than anything is that your life would be fruitful. What, I'm, what I understand is that when you give, what happens to you? Fruit abounds to your account. That's why I've always learned to be an extravagant giver, no matter what. No matter what other people choose to do. If God says to give, you give. Because it's between you and him. Now there should be transparency, integrity, honesty, and any of you at any time can come talk with Marlene about our financial situation. This is our money. It's a nonprofit organization. It belongs to you. This church belongs to you. This building belongs to you. It's all of us together. It doesn't belong to me. It's not in my name. Shopping center's not in my name. What I care more than anything is that each of you would be fruitful and that God would abound to your account. Okay, And the fruitfulness may not come in the form of money. What if you got so fired up and you saw supernatural breakthroughs and you had wisdom that's more precious than gold and silver in your life? Right? That's what I want. So when you give, never think twice and don't look back. Always do what the Lord tells you to do. All right? That's why I tell you, I don't think, I don't think 10% is a law. I think it's a spiritual principle. I believe it's spiritual. It was a law. But now it's a spiritual principle that we all should follow. But there's times where your faith is like, man, I've had, I had somebody come up to me and said, I didn't, didn't, had a small time where I didn't give for a couple weeks. And man, it was a real struggle for me. And I really, the Lord, Lord taught me something through that. And then it's like, man, I can't not give. And so I just encourage you guys, God wants to abound a lot of fruit to your account. And I want that for you. I want that for you. I want you to be blessed and prosperous. And it's not a prosperity gospel. Money is is it's so important for so many things we want to do, right? It's greed that's the issue. So let's not be greedy and let's be a cheerful giver. All right, can we do that? Yeah. So let's receive our tithes and offerings right now. Come on. Yeah. Woo! This is an act of our worship and an act of giving back to the Lord. There's three ways to give. You can do it on the website. You can text to give. Information's on the screen. You can also give right now with an envelope in the seat pocket in front of you. Make checks out to Rock City Church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for giving to us the way that you have so extravagantly. May we always give back to you abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that this church is blessed and prosperous. And there's a lot of accounts with a lot of fruit in it. Fruitful accounts, that's what I call in for this church. I thank you, Lord, that there'll be more than enough to do what we're called to do. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, ushers, go ahead and pass the buckets. All right, have a sip of my vitamin water here, not my coffee that I wish I was having. We are in the middle of a church fast that ends on the 20th, and I want to say to all of you that have been doing your best, I'm so proud of you, and uh, keep on going and don't give up and ask God for grace. Those of you that have bombed it, blew it, or haven't been fasting, what I'd say is pick yourself up and jump back on it and ask the Lord what you're supposed to do, okay? Whatever it is you're supposed to do. 
It doesn't matter to me. Drink coffee the whole time, but fast something else. Fast Instagram, social media, Facebook, whatever it takes. TV, meat, sweets, whatever it takes. Push yourself, yeah. all right? Because we do this twice a year as a church family, and there's real grace on it. And so um, we have 11 more days, 11 more days. And uh, if I can give up coffee, it's pretty miraculous. You all can too, all right? It's not hard for Mark because he doesn't drink coffee. He doesn't even live in this world. <laughs> He's got no understanding, no understanding. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the word that you have for everyone here this morning. Thank you for a worshiping and giving church and a loving church and a real family. I pray, Lord, anybody here that feels lonely, isolated, or disconnected, that you'd bring friends, that you'd bring families, bring mentors, bring people into their lives to disciple and train and equip, raise up a discipleship movement at Rock City Church, and help us all to really know your heart and who you are, how you love, how you give, and how you never back down and you're always pursuing and I thank you, Lord God, for your kindness and grace and mercy in this church and in this family. And we love you dearly. Thank you for uh, great conversion processes of becoming more like a child so that we can see the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that we humble ourselves. And we humble ourselves in our intellect and our logic and reason. In fact, we just say crucify it so that we can think, think and trust and believe like a child again, God. It's what we want, Lord. Convert us to be like children again. And may we never lose the joy of our salvation, the wonder of your forgiveness, how you saved us when we were so dead and so far gone. You rescued us when we needed you the most. And for those here this morning that need rescuing, those that are broken, addicted, hurting, in pain, full of shame, I pray for you that you would come out of it today. See the light and the beauty of who the Lord is. No more walking in shame and hurts and pains. And Lord, I pray you'd break the cycle of destruction and sin that so easily entangles us. I pray, Lord God, that our eyes would always be on you and we'd learn to sit at your feet at all times, that we'd be rested, not anxious like the world is, not chasing after the things of the world, materialism and selfish gain, but that, Lord, we would be godly and content and know that you bring great gain. I thank you that this church is growing stronger by the day, by the week, by the month, and through the years. That, Lord, we have longevity and a trajectory to stand the test of time, legacy in the generations, our sons and daughters and our children's children's children. Lord, give them the inheritance, this house, this church, this family, and everything you give to us, may it be for them. We love you, and I thank you that we have strong families in this church, strong marriages, children being raised in the way, full of the supernatural wonder and kindness of who you are, your power, your presence, and the outpouring of your spirit every day in our lives to set the captives free. I thank you, Lord God, for everyone that you've brought, those that are coming. And I thank you that we're, we've built a firm foundation to stand the weight of what's coming. Make us stronger. We'll be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Starting this year, I talked about several things in the first few messages. We had a little hiatus last week when we talked about our vision 
and the prophetic words that I have received in my life and that Amber received in her life over the conference about building a community here in Corpus Christi to give people a hand up instead of a handout. We talked about our dreams. We talked about what we thought it would look like. We basically said we have no idea, but we got these words and we're going for it. And if you didn't get a chance to be here last week, please, I would ask you, it was such a pivotal message for this church. Amber and I both spoke together, and I'd ask you guys to please go on to our website, or I'm sorry, onto our YouTube page or our website, and listen to last week's, last week's message, okay, if you haven't. But prior to last week's message, I have been on a theme. It's been a theme that talks about God's kindness, his grace, and his mercy in the context of failure and compromise in our lives. I've self-deprecated a lot, and I think that it's a good thing for me to self-deprecate. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've shared some of what they are. I talk about them a lot because in a lot of ways, I'm just like you. God has trusted me with great responsibility and promoted me to a position of a senior leader and shepherd of an incredible family all of you and the more to come, and really, I can't take any credit for it except to say that it's been because of his love and his faithfulness and his kindness, and I would say because I really love you, and I love God's bride, and I love his people, and I have trusted him, and I would suspect that he's somewhat found me faithful in the midst of all of it, but more than anything, what I've wanted to be and what I want you to be is men and women after God's own heart just like David was. But I don't want you to do what some of what King David did, right? I don't want you to murder anybody, and I don't want you to ever commit adultery, okay? I don't want you to, miss, to trust in yourself and miscount God's people and think that you're strong in your own strength and pay a great price for it. David made a lot of mistakes. But he was called a man after God's own heart because he was always repentant. He was always broken. He was always trusting. He was always worshiping. He was always loving. And I think the greatest compliment that you could ever get is for somebody to say you're a man or a woman after God's own heart. Make that your ambition. To always trust and to always run to him and not from him. And what I would hope that you hear from my messages week in and week out is that. I want you to be lovers of God at all, no matter what it looks like and no matter what you go through. And so we've talked about God's grace and and kindness and mercy in the midst of failure, especially when you know better and you still choose to not do what's right in his own eyes because you've heard me say it before, but we say that, oh, I fell into sin. It's like, yeah, you didn't fall. You did a double, triple, swirly, backflip, graceful, number 10 dive with no splash in the pool, right? I mean, it's like, I didn't fall. I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> okay, we call that presumptuous sin. I already know God will forgive me, but hey, I'm diving in. <laughs> we talked about what a proper response should be when you stumble and fall and when the enemy gets the best of you. Sometimes the enemy plunders your house of the righteous and you make poor choices and poor decisions or you stumble and you fall, but God will always raise you up again. Many times, though a righteous man falls seven times or many, many, many times, God in his kindness and mercy will always raise you up again because you're sons and daughters of the living God, right? But the wicked stay in their calamity. They don't get to rise again. 
So when you fall, he, does he fall with you? Yes. Did, does he sin? No. But is he in you? Yes. So he has this incredible ability to resurrect you when you're down. You've got to see that. Are you down today? Is anybody in this sanctuary discouraged, frustrated, down, going through a difficult time? If you are, all y'all, the good news is, is there's a resurrection for you right now, and it's not even Easter. <laughs> we don't have to wait for Easter for a resurrection Sunday, right? I'm not just, this isn't a message that I just came up with. This is a lifestyle for me. It's constant resurrection. It's constant reviving. It's constant promise. It's constant overcoming. It's constant facing troubles and trials and challenges, but overcoming because he overcame the world. Right? We talked about how great his faithfulness is. That God doesn't give you what you deserve. He's full of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Great is his faithfulness. We talked about never allowing yourself to be stuck. This was week two. A way out. We talked about no matter what state you're in, that God always gives you a way out. You're never stuck. You may feel it, and you may feel like you're alone, and nobody's there, and nobody cares, and I understand that. Isolated, and you're just in hurt and pain. But what I want you to know is no matter how dark your situation is, no matter how dark of the darkest of the dark, I have heard it all. I don't, whatever the darkest is, if you were looking at Ouija boards last night and stuck in witchcraft and you walked into this church right now, there is a way out. I remember back in the early, my early Pentecostal days. Here we go. People were rebuking witches for coming into the church to cause division and people would run up, there's a witch here. I know that person's a witch. And I'm like, well, first of all, how do you know that person's a witch? That's the first thing I want to know. What were you doing with them last week? Like, listen, there have been witches that have come into this church that have gotten saved, born again, and delivered. That's the least of my concerns. The love and the power of God is so much greater and stronger. And when, listen to me, when the door is shut with, and the enemy has no authority, they can't open it. Now you say, well, they could get other people here and they can distract us. Let me tell you about the presence of God in an atmosphere that's healthy and strong. God has a way of saving the darkest. This is my point. My point is no matter where you're at or what you've done or what you think you're going to do, God in his love and mercy will chase you down and override you. I'm telling you, he will do it. Now you still have to say yes, but, I'm, but mark my words from a man that was going to hell in a bucket Hence the Grateful Dead song, Hell in a Bucket. <laughs> God pulled me right out of that bucket. All right, he pulled me right out of that bucket. So there's always a way out. Don't ever believe the lie. See, that's where suicide and depression and heavy darkness comes in. There's no, I'm stuck. I'm alone. There's no way out. My life doesn't matter. And today, if you've battled suicidal thoughts about your life, when we call this altar call, you need to run up here. Your life matters. It matters to God. And there's, there's you know what, I'm sorry if your family's forsaked you and you blew, 
burned up all the bridges and blew it all up to no end. But guess what? God's got a new family for you. You may have lost your children for whatever reason, but guess what? God's got new children for you. And that's a word for somebody. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. It's a man. He's a man. I'm in love with a man. I'll just confess it right now. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm in love with a man. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Now I want you all to post that. All you men, I want you to go on your Facebook and post, I'm in love with a man. Just leave it at that. <laughs> We talked about how God has a firm foundation that we're all built on. You know why I'm going over all this again? Because repetition is the mother of all learning. We go, every week we, I get these incredible downloads for you and more and more and all this incredible stuff and preach the gospel and even stuff that's so simple and basic. But we move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's like you can never forget. We have to remember what God always says and what God always does. And that's the understanding that God has a firm foundation that all of us are built on. The whole church is built on a foundation that is sealed, written, and inscribed with two sayings. The first one is that God knows or recognizes those that are his. Now, these are all in the last week, month's messages. Go, go listen to them. God knows you when you give your life to him, which means he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And no matter where you're at, he sees you. You say, well... God can't look upon sin. Well, then let's take Proverbs 15.3 out, which says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the good and the evil. He can pull you out of your darkest place. So when you sin, did he go, oh, I can't be with you right now? Now, we're going to get to the message of the fact that sin will kill you. That's probably coming next week. And we're going to get to the message of understanding that if anybody thinks it's okay while you seek the grace of Jesus to live in sin, you actually are a transgressor. We'll get there. Because you have to understand that there's a mandate and a requirement that comes with the richness and the greatness of what God's given. I'm not a sloppy grace guy, but I'm going to hit the grace and mercy and forgiveness so hard to give you no excuse to stay in shame and beat down, broke down, busted and disgusted and in darkness and hurts and pains and pity parties and victim mentalities. I want to give you no excuse. Listen clearly to the messages that I preach to you. It's the gospel. It means the good news in the midst of bad news. I have good news for you. Are you addicted to anything? There's good news. God can rescue you and pull you out of it. So we talked about how God knows you. He knows me. He didn't not know me in my darkest hour. He didn't forsake me. You say, well, Jesus, when he was on the cross, cried out to the Father, Lord, why have you forsaken me? I think Jesus felt that way, but it wasn't the truth. You know what he was feeling? You ready for this? He was feeling what you feel in your darkest, most failure, most hurtful hour 
of feeling like no one cares and no one's there. Jesus had to feel that thing you have been feeling or have felt so he could understand. And you know he's compassionate and sympathetic. But did the father actually forsake him? You got to see that. Whew. He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's the scripture in the Bible. Never means never, ever, never, ever, ever. But you need to seek him while he may be found because a day will come where he won't be found. That'll probably be post-resurrection or post-rapture. Whatever's going to happen, just get ready now. Let's not even worry about that. Post, pre, mid, all I know is he's coming back and I'm going to be ready. I'm not going to be in the reggae club doing the nasty drinking Coronas. That's not what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> okay? That's where I don't want you to be when Jesus comes back then. Wow. This is some, are we having fun in church today? This is good church, right? So we have a man, so then the next thing, the next inscription was, everyone who worships the name of the Lord must forsake wickedness. And what I, what I got from that was when I worship, wickedness can't exist. But I must forsake it. So if I worship, God will begin to deal with the wickedness. And you say, well, I'm not wicked. If you have any compromise or sin in your life, it falls in the category of wickedness. Little white lie. Wickedness. Just self-deprecate. Don't get offended and say, I have been wicked and I don't want it in my life. I'm sorry, Lord. Anything that's outside of his character and nature and perfect design and will, it falls into that category. So if we're going to worship, I must, I have a mandate, forsake that. But what I've learned is the more I worship, the stronger I get to forsake it. Worship with everything inside of you. And then say, Lord, I don't want that anymore. That's where it starts. God, I don't want it anymore in my life. You got to first come to the place that says, I don't want it. Like for me, I smoked pot for a long time after I got born again. And I already know people are smoking pot here. And listen, there's grace and mercy and God, the Holy Spirit will work on you. And you say, well, what about when it gets legal? Here's your answer for legal, the legalization of marijuana. You ready? I am on a roll. We should fast more. I am like... This falls into alcohol, it falls into the super buffet, it falls into whatever it is, okay? I'm just telling you, it falls into anything in your life, all right? Breakfast tacos, you know what, it, you know what your thing is. I offended somebody now, I'm going to start talking about breakfast tacos. You, you ready for the answer? Be spirit-led. You say, well, some people don't know how to be spirit-led. That's true. Then you put some boundaries and behavior some, some spirit-led behavior modification in your life. I know if I touch one drop of alcohol, it's going to lead to, you know yourself. I know you want rules and policies and regulations, and I know that the Bible gives us very clear things of what's sin and what's not sin. 
and you say, okay, well, there could be, there's some gray area with alcohol and pot and other things. Say, you know what? There's never gray area with the Holy Spirit. And so what I have to do is teach you how to be spirit-led and have conviction and not ignore conviction. Others may, but I may not. Do you understand? Okay? So, and then we don't be judgmental and we don't beat people up. Okay? Because some people aren't going to have the same conviction that you have. So you love really well. And you don't become weird religious. And you don't cause what's okay for you for somebody else to stumble. And you don't beat people up and get devices over something stupid like a glass of wine or somebody that takes CBD oil. It's ridiculous. You be spirit-led, you hear the voice of the Lord, and then there are very clear things that are contrary to God's plan, and you know what they are. Pornography is not okay. Drunkenness is not okay. Abusing your wife is not okay. Robbing, stealing, cheating, lying is not okay. Beating your kids is not okay. Premarital sex, not okay. But even then, people will come in here sleeping together, and they love me, and they love this church, and I love them, and I let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does best. I'm not going to be your God cop, so stop being God cops. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's hard for a lot of people. I got about, what, eight couples in here that came in here living together that I have now married. But back in the day when I was super religious, I said, if you guys want me to marry you, you're going to have to live apart from each other. And they were like, we're out of here. Now you know what I say. If you want me to marry you, you have to stop having sex. Because I'll marry you. So you got light at the end of the tunnel. So keep it in your pants. I'm looking, I got couples that I'm looking at right here that did it, that did it right. You can't contain yourself for three, six months. Come on, you can do it. I'm so far off track right now. Where have I gone? Holy cow. What is, it's getting hot in here too, all of a sudden. Wrote me in. See, my wife's not here, so. All right, so here we go. We have a mandate from God to be found faithful with this incredible love that's been shared and revealed to us. We have a responsibility by God's grace to live upright and be honorable in how we treat ourselves, others, and intimate relationships, our, our intimate relationship with the Father. You have a responsibility. Everybody say, I have a responsibility. There's always a way out, but we must forsake wickedness as we worship and put our complete hope and trust in the Lord. Then we talked about the end game. The end game in Ephesians 5 was God wants to present us to himself a glorious church. So he does that by what? Sanctifying us, cleansing us, and washing us with the water of the word, and then presenting us without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Remember that message? It was called a glorious church. Our end game is God is making us into the temple of his presence and becoming unified without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And we can only become that through the blood of Jesus, his kindness, his mercy, his forgiveness, and what happened on the cross. That's why we can never take our eyes off the cross. We can never let our children or this generation or the generations to come walk away from the cross. All right? But there was a requirement, and the requirement is that if we continue in our faith, stay grounded and steadfast, and we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. 
The enemy always wants to get you off point. Move away from the good news, get ungrounded, and don't stay steadfast. All right? That's the enemy's game plan. But today I'm going to talk quickly about the most foundational scripture in the context of what God does or did for many of us when we were completely dead or lost without any hope in our lives. And I'm going to just read the scripture to you and then I'm going to pray for you. There's so much in the scripture, I'm just going to break it down as we go through it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Ephesians 2, 4. But God who's rich in what? Is, he's not lacking. He's rich. It means he has a super abundance of mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. So why is he rich in mercy? Because he's loving. And he loves you. And he's the good, good father. Even if he disciplines you and reprimands you at times and corrects you and chastises you and gives you a spiritual spanking. He's still good and he still loves you and he's always for you and he's never against you. Even when you were dead in our trespass, in trespasses, all of us at one point in our lives either were or some of us might be currently dead in our trespasses. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Are you dead in your sin and trespasses? Are you constantly getting sidestepped? That's what this word means. It means to sidestep what God has called you to. It means I'm trying to go around or I'm trespassing. It means I'm full of faults, failures, and offenses. It means willful error. It means I'm constantly in a lapse of judgment. And it means that I'm deviating from the truth. That's trespass. Okay, so if you've had constant lapse of judgment or side-skirting around because of false perceptions of who God is, thinking he's out to get you or he's mad at you, or you have a perception of God from a religious lens of your past, you got to get rid of that. I'm telling you, you got to get rid of it because it'll kill you. And you don't realize how entrenched and ingrained it gets into you from your childhood. God is loving, he's caring, and he's the best dad you could ever have. He's the dad you never had. He's so much better. He's so much better. And so when I was dead, what did he do? Resurrection. He made me alive with Christ. He resurrected me. Some of you need a resurrection today. For by grace you have been saved. Now let's talk briefly about grace. Grace is the free unmerited favor of God. It's his undeserving loving kindness that influences, strengthens, and empowers and increases you to desire him. He gives you the ability to know him, love him, and become more like him. And his grace governs us to do his will with his power. It's an empowerment. It's favor. And it's not anything you could have ever deserved. It's grace. I'm going to have grace on you. It's a free thing that he hands into your life. And it gives you the ability to turn towards him. It gives you the ability to know him. And what happens is when grace smacks you right in the face and you hear messages like this in the gospel and the good news and God chases you down, it's like, man, that's what he did to me. It was God's grace that saved me. It's God's grace that saves all of us. When you were running, when you were played in hide and seek, he found you. He's finding you right now. Today's your day. It's God's grace. I preach these kind of messages. We laugh. I self-deprecate. We have fun. All so that you could understand that God's grace is coming after you. 
You don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it then. Why do you think you deserve it now? So let's keep going on. Verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. This is an awesome mystery. I'm here and there. When you're born again, you get a new seated position. So I'm seated in two places. Well, really, I'm seated there, and the result and the manifest, the manifestation of what has happened to me when I get born again Come comes out of my life here. Because I'm seated there, I can stay seated here. Right. Now, there's so much to this one word. On. Seated is a governmental position of authority yeah. and rest. Yeah. What's the first thing Jesus did when he ascended to heaven after the resurrection? Well... It's a trick question. He first made the sacrifice, then he sat down. But really, it says he rose up and he sat down. Why? Because he's not freaking out about the White House, wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, North Korea. He's not at all caught off guard by any one thing that's happening. He's still seated. And guess who's seated with him? So when you get born again today, if you're not born again, or when you gave your life to the Lord and really meant it, you got to see what happened because this will change your life. He literally put me next to him. And now I'm not, I don't have to worry about the devil, principalities, wickedness. I've been raised up high and far above them. Just don't open the door. No tarot cards, no psychics, no drugs, no alcohol for some of you. You know what, you, you know what it is. No pornography. Shut the flesh down. <laughs> shut the flesh down and I get it it's a battle you know why I have so much mercy and grace and have so much fun with this and why I'm so fired up because boy have I opened up the door a lot of times in my past how can the Lord be so good how can he be so good I don't deserve it he says that's the point that's the point verse 7 that in the ages, so, so he raised you up, seated you there, why? So that in the ages to come. Now, this was written a long time ago, a couple thousand years ago, right? Might this be an age to come? Might it? Yes. What did he want to show? How rich his grace and his kindness is uh, towards us. I'm living in a richness of grace and kindness in this age. He did all that so that I could represent and you could represent and you can 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 reflect the kindness and the richness of God to everybody around us. Lots of grace. Man, do I have lots of grace. Next verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that no man can boast. You know what that scripture means? It means you can't save yourself. You can't behavior modify. There's not enough behavior modification self-help books to read. There's no diets, no keto, no food and drink. There's not no exercise. You can, you can be healthier and hopefully take care of yourself longer so we're not having heart attacks and I'm not having to do funerals, and I just want to rejoice right there because I've hardly had any funerals here. Thank God no one's dying. 
right now. But I want you to understand there's nothing you can do in your own strength to save yourself. But the statement, there's nothing I can do, is erroneous. Because notice, go back a slide. You're saved by grace through grace smacks you in the face. Faith says, here I am. I believe. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't work up, work up for it. I didn't deserve it. When I was in my darkest place, he died. But, but in faith, I responded. Yeah. I'm saved by grace through faith. Yeah. It means I said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I receive. I want to be a child of God, John 1.12. I'm saved by grace through faith. And it can't be anything that I did. And it's the law. And see, this whole context is in the context of the law, is that the law can never save you. The law could never make you righteous. And the, here, I'll give you modern day law. You ready? Well, I go to church every week. I read my Bible all the time. I pray. I go through all the spiritual disciplines. That's going to save me. Yeah, no. <laughs> Going to church won't save you. It can lead you to salvation. Reading your Bible won't save you. It can lead you to salvation. But the only thing that saves you is receiving and having faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. That's the beautiful news. The beautiful news is God gave me a free gift. I'm accepting it, and I, there's nothing I could, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't work it up, and it's always there for me. Because salvation, if you think about what it means to be saved, what does it mean to be saved? I've seen Hallmark movies make fun of it. I've seen Hollywood make fun of it. Rock and roll bands make fun of it. What does it really mean to be saved? You should know the answer to that. It means when I was in my darkest place, while I was dead in my transgressions, he made me alive by getting born again. It means that when I had no hope and I was in bondage, he broke the chains. There was a jailbreak. I broke out of my sidestepping transgression, my delusional way of thinking, and he had a jailbreak. He rescues you, and then he protects you and defends you and delivers you, and then he makes you to be whole. Salvation's an ongoing thing. I was saved then. I was saved today. I'll be saved tomorrow. I'm in a constant process of salvation. He pulled me out, and he keeps me out. And if I go back in for whatever reason, I turn back to him, and he breaks the jail, he breaks the jail out again. Now, what happens in maturity, as you mature in Christ, you stop going back as much as you, and then eventually you don't go back anymore. I don't care if they legalize pot. Could you imagine me coming in, smoking a big fat doobie, and say, yeah, woo! No, for me, that's not going to work. But now I know Christians, and there's a huge Christian movement where it works for some. No, listen to me. I know Christians that for them, that's, that, that's working for them. There's whole movements. I see them all online. I'm out of time. Spirit-led. See, for me, when I smoked pot for that year, the conviction, I kept getting convicted. One day, I was ready to storm the gates of hell. The next day, I was hiding under a table. Yeah. And eventually, after about a year, 
I was like, I can't take it anymore. So, but the thing is, is you got to love people in their process. So I love any one of y'all if you're battling something like that. God will work on your heart in his way. But what I want to tell you today is salvation is a free gift by faith. Just take it. Just take it. And let God do what God does best. Let's all stand.